and we want to begin a look at Naaman, the leper, and uh, see what's going on with him, and we'll uh, have to finish this up next week. As I think I mentioned perhaps last week, uh, this is what to me one of the highlights of this book. Just an excellent, it, it's, in one sense it's the same as all the, uh, what we've seen so far with all the different miracles, in this case a healing, but it's such a great typological presentation of the gospel. There's so many things in here that are, I think are so practical for us to think about. So let's stand and we'll read the first nine verses of Second Kings chapter 5. <clears throat> Naaman, the commander of the army of the king of Syria, was a great man with his master and in high favor, because by him the Lord had given victory to Syria. He was a mighty man of valor, but he was a leper. Now the Syrians, on one of their raids, had carried off a little girl from the land of Israel, and she worked in the service of Naaman's wife. And she said to her mistress, Would that my lord were with the prophet who is in Samaria, he would cure him of his leprosy. So Naaman went in and told his lord, Thus so spoke the girl from the land of Israel. And the king of Syria said, Go now, and I will send a letter to the king of Israel. So interesting that they war with each other at times, they raid each other, but they've got a relationship where they can ask favors of each other. So it's a, probably just a different time, right? <clears throat> so he went, in the middle of verse 5, and taking with him ten talents of silver, six thousand shekels of gold, and ten changes of clothing. And he brought this letter to the king of Israel, which read, When this letter reaches you, know that I have sent to you Naaman my servant, that you may cure him of his leprosy. And when the king of Israel read the letter, he tore his clothes and said, Am I God to kill and to make a lie, that this man sends word to me to cure a man of leprosy? Only consider and see how he is seeking to quarrel with me. But when Elisha, the man of God, heard the king of Israel had torn his clothes, he sent to the king, saying, Why have you torn your clothes? Let him come now to me, that he may know that there is a prophet in Israel. So Naaman came with his horses and his chariots and stood at the door of Elisha's house. We'll stop there today. I know it's kind of in the middle of the account, but we we got to stop somewhere. And that's all we're going to have time for today anyway. All right, so let's uh, just review last week. Um, we saw, remember those two miracles in particular where um, he, the, the pot that was, we had the poison gourds in it was uh, fixed so it was safe. And then uh, we had him uh, feeding a hundred men with just one lunch, as it were, simulating uh, something that, in a lesser way, the Lord's miracles. We saw that the righteous suffer along with the wicked in calamities, but for different reasons and different results, uh, as everybody was suffering from the famine. These miracles show the Lord's care and provision for his own, regardless of the circumstances, the numbers, and the severity. Those things don't matter to the Lord. He can, was a few people or a lot of people, even sickness or death, God can heal and take care of all of that since he's God. One reason for these trials is so that we can prove our faith. And, uh, well, I don't have time to kind of get into the, uh, you know, some of it. Some, my mother called me, want me to kind of go over to her the idea, the, 
reputation of the Carl Christian thing because she's dealing with her brother who, who's my, you know, my cousin had died a month or two ago and they've struggled with it because they're Arminian. He, 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 he gave no evidence of knowing the Lord, but he walked the aisle when he was a boy and they're holding on to that. He's got to be saved because at some point trust in the Lord. Well, we tried to talk to her, you know, about the, the fact that if you're regenerated, which this is why Armenians struggle with that, because once you're, we know the Bible teaches once you're regenerated, you have a new nature. You're a different person. And so you persevere to the end. You're not the same. You don't just live uh, the life you did before, and that's evidence that you're not saved. And so here, you see, and you shall remember the whole way the Lord your God has led you these 40 years in the wilderness, that he might humble you, testing you to know what was in your heart, whether you would keep his commandments or not. So the Lord test us to see whether these things be. And Paul says that over and over again in the New Testament. Uh, test yourselves. Do you pass the test? And he humbled you and let your hunger, and let your hunger and fed you with manna, which you did not know, nor did your fathers know, that he might make you know that man does not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. So here you see that the Lord sends things into our lives to prove it. And, and if there's no evidence, then uh, as Jesus says, you know a tree by its fruit. And uh, so uh, it's not work salvation, but it clearly t- demonstrates that if, if you're truly saved, there's going to be some evidence of it. So, you know, some of the things we dealt with last week. And, and so as we come to this uh, chapter 5 here, the first three verses, we have two people that I think have an interesting contrast. Two very different kind of people. Naaman and this little servant girl, the slave girl. Naaman was a great man. And it makes it clear that whatever he attained in life had given by the Lord. I think that's interesting there because it reminds us that the Lord's not just taking care of his people. Even everything that the lost person has and is able to do comes from the Lord. He, he's involved in everybody. He's everybody's God. And so, you know, it's not like, well, he's taking care of us. No, he's taking care of everybody else, too. And I think it's just something good for us to remember. Also here, Jeremiah 10, I know, O Lord, that the way of man is not in himself, that it is not in man who walks to direct his steps. And again, this is a general principle. God is controlling everybody, everywhere. Naaman, though, was uh, a good steward. He uh, he was well in favor of the king. He had worldly possessions. He had success, but he had a fundamental excuse me a fundamental flaw. He was a leper, and leprosy in the Bible again it's kind of talk about the wise and the foolish last week. The, this motif in the Bible. Leprosy generally speaks of sin. It's an illustration of sin. It's a type of sin. There's debate about whether it's actually leprosy as we kind of think about it, or it could be. It's possible, though, that it wasn't because of the way it's described and it works. But once you you had it, if it's if it's just a spot on your skin, it was not considered leprosy, and you were free to go. If the, the priest noticed that it was went deeper than the skin, you were uh, considered to have leprosy, and you were to be removed from God's people, and you were you know kept off somewhere. You, you had to stay, keep your distance. So it's this whole idea of 
of what sin is. Sin contaminates us. Sin ruins us. Sin separates us from God's people and so forth. And uh, so it makes you unclean. That was the big thing. If you had it, well, you know, it was proven to be leprosy, whatever it was, then you could not go to the temple. You were unclean and unfit to, for worship. So you kind of see the similarity to being a leper. So, you know, for all, as great as he was, the problem was he's a leper. He, he was unclean on the inside. And, of course, it just shows it's a great picture of this world of the natural man. It doesn't matter how much power you've got or wealth. You're still, at the end of the day, a sinner separated from God. <clears throat> and so we see when God blesses the lost, it is not a reward for being good but because of his own divine purposes, very apparent in this account. Naaman was blessed, but Naaman, uh, he had needs. And it would be good for us to remember this especially, that God has blessed us maybe financially or physically. It certainly would be good for America to remember this. Um, If you kind of sum it up in a more spiritual way, here's a man that had all the respect and fame and wealth and power, but spiritually he's under a curse. And that's why, you know, we got to forget this idea that America, for at least for its history, has been so blessed by God. doesn't mean anything. doesn't mean that we're special, that we um, deserve something better than somebody else. Yeah, it means to some degree, because we have set our laws in accordance to the Lord, that brings blessing. But it's not because we people are any better, or there's not, or there's not you know, evil people among us, right? So, any time we get to the idea that we deserve something more than somebody else, we're going to be in error. Without Christ, we're all repulsive to God. No matter what others might think about you. Uh, Psalm 39.4 O Lord, make me know my end, and what is the measure of my days. Let me know how fleeting I am. Behold, you have made my days a few hand breaths, and my lifetime is nothing before you. Surely all mankind stands as a mere breath. Surely man goes about as, as a shadow. Surely for nothing they are in turmoil. Man heaps up wealth that does not know who will gather it. It's just an idea that, that uh, the Lord is the one in control of this thing, and, and none of us have, have attained anything on our own. And Naaman is like that. He has attained much, but it the text makes it very clear. The Lord gave it to him. He didn't deserve it. And inside, he's just like everybody else in that sense. So, without Christ, all of our material blessings are vain anyway. So, one last point to make about Naaman. With all his power, he is also unable to cure his problem. Um, he is a sinner. He's ruined on the inside. He's, he's under a curse. And he can't do anything about it. Otherwise, he wouldn't be looking for ways to be healed, right? <clears throat> so the next person we have, though, is this girl who was taken in, and this is, of course, to me, the, the most interesting thing about this. In a raid by the Syrians, she's taken. Perhaps she saw her, her parents killed before her eyes. We don't know. But she's ripped out of her home. And she's uh, given her soul, probably, to Naaman's wife. Uh, and she's now serves Naaman's wife. And she's the total opposite of Naaman in every respect. She has no power, no fame, 
She's never named in this text. She has no material blessing. I mean, she's a slave after all. But what is, uh, that's not the worst of it. She is, as I said, kidnapped from her parents, from her country. Uh, she's a victim of injustice. And uh, in, in, in every, in, 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 she has no hope of justice ever being done. There's, she has no reason to think that she'll ever be rescued. So, so think about if you've been ripped out of your your home, perhaps your family killed in the process, carried off to another land, and there's no hope that that, that the Navy SEALs going to come and, and uh, you know rescue you. No, it didn't work like that back then. Uh, Israel's in, in no way going to be able to go, go and rescue. She has no hope. It's never going to change. It's probably how you're going to die. So you know, the, the, she's the exact opposite of Naaman, not only physically, but spiritually. Because she knows the true God. She has hope, even in a hopeless situation. She knows God, and she says, you know, there's somebody in Israel who can heal Naaman. And, of course, that in itself is an amazing thing that she is not bitter, but she is willing to impart words. In a, let's in a, in a typical sense, she will, is, is loves Naaman enough to give him the gospel and tell him how he can get rid of his sin problem, this leprosy. So she exhibits an attitude of grace and love that we find it hard to see in people who have light and the fullness of the Holy Spirit. She loves her enemy, I think, in a in the way that Jesus told us to love our enemies, that she was willing to do good to those who had despitefully used her. <clears throat> Life had treated her about as unjustly and truly as possible, humanly speaking, yet it does not stop her from being a witness to the glory of Yahweh. <clears throat> there, there's no hint of an excuse that, well, I'm exempt from, you know, Telling Naaman about this, after all, I, I was taken as a slave, I'm a slave. Why should I tell him how he can be cleaned of his leprosy? <coughs> but there's no hint of that. <coughs> she does what was right. Um, perhaps she was raised in a godly home. I mean, you know, we don't know, but she... Seems to be a believer. She seems at least to recognize who Elisha was. She, she's being a witness in some light anyway. No, no, for sure. But see, at least in the account, she exhibits more grace than sometimes we find in ourselves, right? Where she's willing to, uh, someone who has despitefully used her, she's willing to say something good to help them out. And so, one of the things we learn from this, though, is that when it all boils down, either we can accept the providence of God in all things, or we can't. And we can't accept God at all, at least not in the God-honoring way. In other words, if, as a Christian, you don't you struggle to have a good attitude when providence frowns upon you. Then you're saying something about the Lord. You're not glor- you're not honoring the Lord as you should, <clears throat> for sure. <clears throat> Excuse me. <clears throat> so she could have spent her time questioning why she had been treated like this while her captives prospered. She could have said, Naaman just got what he deserved, and I, 
and now that he's got leprosy, so a lot of people are doing today. They, they, uh, you know, feel like they've been treated unfairly in some way, and so they resent everybody uh, that they hold accountable to them. <clears throat> well, you can spend your life resenting people like that and letting that define who you are, or you can be a faithful servant of the Lord Jesus Christ and be full of joy and peace. So another thing this teaches us is what true Christian love looks like. Such love, biblical love, does good. It doesn't just not do harm. That's why the, the, the commandment, for instance, thou shalt not steal, is, is only part of the equation. The law of God is that thou shalt do good, that thou shalt love your neighbor. Not just that you don't harm him, you do him good. So, it understands that we also are lepers before God. And the only reason we're not is because by the grace of God, he's had mercy on us. And so she does what all Israel could not do while in the wilderness. She does not murmur at difficulty. She she uh, reflects the grace of God. <clears throat> and so, it's not unusual that People are brought into the kingdom through the difficulty, through other people's difficulty. <clears throat> I've got something in my throat here, so excuse me about that. About that but I was reading about a, a man in New York who wrote a commentary on Zechariah, and he sent it, this is, of course, years ago, but he sent it to all the, the rabbis in New York City. And not one of them even responded, certainly not with a thank you or in any other way. That, 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 you know, <clears throat> and one evidently just threw it into the trash can, but he had a male secretary. And uh, the that guy, the secretary, dug out, dug it out of the trash can, read it, and got saved. And eventually he comes and he to hear uh, this man who wrote the book uh, to hear him preach, and that's how we learned about that. So. Here's a man who did he did what he could, and uh, the Lord blesses it. So God's creativity is way beyond ours. And while it, this this girl maybe never even thought about what was going to be the result of all this, but she just did what she could. She did the right thing, and the Lord blesses it. <clears throat> and so the small girl's witness is accompanied by the power of God. In that, now Naaman seeks favor with his enemies. So we, we can't really sell ourselves short because you, you just can't. We're, we can't be any, we're nothing, we have nothing to boast about. But we can definitely sell the Lord short. And when we don't exercise faith, that's what we're doing. <clears throat> and so this life, girl's life was completely disrupted with tragedy. So that the very one responsible could be Touched by God, that is Naaman. Now, when I say disrupted, I did not say ruined or made useless. And, and that's what we tend to think. <clears throat> well, now that I'm in this situation, now that I've lost my health, now that I've lost my job, <clears throat> or whatever, I I can't be serving. I can't serve the Lord anymore. You know, it's ruined me. And that's kind of what Paul was thinking because of this uh, affliction. Lord, take this away from me. It's it's ruining my ministry, it's or it's hindering my ministry. And 
in all likelihood, it was a, it was an eye problem. You remember in, in Second Corinthians, I think it is. So we haven't got there yet, but <clears throat> they were uh, one of the knocks on Paul was that he's just kind of unsightly. It's hard to look at him, and uh, so Paul's asking God to, to take away this thing that, that he considers to be a thorn in the flesh. And the Lord says, "No, this is exactly what you need because when your ministry prospers." People know it was me and not Paul because you're not the, the, the this good-looking Joe Osteen character. You know, I, I've actually got water. And thank you for reminding me to actually take a drink of it. So it happens. Anyway, so <clears throat> the next two people that we see after Naaman and this girl are the two kings. Naaman has something... Some things to learn about how salvation comes, how the cleansing from sin comes. And he's told uh, that a prophet in Israel uh, can help him. <clears throat> and so we will see that he still thinks that money and power are the way to get things done. So when he goes, he brings great gifts because that's that's just the way it worked back then. And his, his king, uh, you know, who like Naaman, uh, and he hears about what's going on, so he is willing to help, and so he writes this letter to the king of Israel. <clears throat> and the king of Israel is a good picture of, of, of just a professor, not, not one that you find in the university, a mere professor, a uh, one who professes Christ but is not a nominal professor, right? <clears throat> Unlike the girl, he also knew Elisha, he knew the stories he had heard. You know, he was familiar with Elisha. Uh, but it wasn't real to him. He was not a believer. So when he's asked, you know, someone comes to him and basically says, how do I, uh, how am I saved? I don't know. What are you, what are you coming to me for? He's just religious, but he's not a believer. So he's, he just goes into a tizzy. He thinks that the, the king of, of Assyria is just picking a fight with them by giving this impossible task. And he kind of falls apart. <clears throat> and, he, and rending his clothes is, is a way that they would uh, demonstrate that. <clears throat> but in verse 8, we see that we have interpreted the king's attitude rightly because Elisha says, uh, do you not know God? Do you know him or not? I mean, what's going on here? He says this when he says, But Elisha, the man of God, heard that the king of Israel tore his clothes and sent to the king, saying, Why have you torn your clothes? Let him come to me that he may know there's a prophet in Israel. You know, he, he kind of chides him. You know I'm here. You, you know this is what he's after. Why didn't you send to me? Why, why are you going into this panic? It's because it's not real to him. Elisha was not afraid to enter the work of God and to have, he has no time for those who uh, profess one thing but don't live it. Because we alone have the message of life. And, and if someone comes to you with a message of life or at, look, who needs it and you, because you're too shy or too embarrassed or, you know, I don't, I, I'm not a good speaker. So, you know, off the help, off the help with you because I, you know, I don't want to be uncomfortable. Something like that. Had a guy meet me uh, this this week at church, and I began talking to him. Realized he he goes to the Catholic church, and he goes to the Lutheran church, and he he 
you know, just wherever. And I asked him, I says, do you, do you honestly believe that the Catholic Church and the Presbyterian Church preach the same gospel? And we, and we got into it. Trying to explain to him justification and imputation. And I think he understood it to some degree, but the, the problem was is that while he doesn't agree with the, the, the confessional, uh, the, some of the things the Pope does, um, he doesn't agree with uh, different aspects of Catholicism, uh, indulgences, he, he realizes all that's wrong. He's comfortable going there and participating in all those things. And, and, and it doesn't see that, we're talking about people's souls here. Well, now, in verse 9, the account settles on Naaman and Elisha specifically. And the main point of the account is the necessity of humility and the brokenness that we must have if we're going to receive God's grace rather than trying to earn it. And so Naaman comes, and we kind of left off here, but he comes with all these gifts. He comes on his high horse, literally, in all his pomp and glory. And he comes to Elisha's house, and Elisha doesn't even come outside. He sends a servant out and says, uh, tell him to go dip himself in the River Jordan sometimes. And Naaman does not like that. And so that's what we'll get into more of this next week. But Naaman uh, thinks that, you know, I'm a great man, and I, I can do great things for you, and I expect you then to take notice of me and help me. And you got to learn that's not how you come to God. It's not how you are. Saved from your sin. <clears throat> Naaman illustrates someone who has not been stripped of pride and self-righteousness. But if he's going to be made whole, he will be humbled because that's the nature of faith, trusting in something else. And so this verse is quite pathetic when you think about it. Naaman shows up in all his pomp and glory, hoping to impress Elisha. But the problem is he's a leper. You know, so... And that's how Christians should be able to think. You can see this beautiful, let's just say this, a beautiful starlet or this a good-looking athlete that the world worships in, in their ways. And but, but we know they're not saved. They've demonstrated the fact that they're not saved. And so we're not impressed by those things because we know God's not impressed by those things. And we know we're no different. But we don't. We see things, well, our eyes are open. There's no excuse for us to be, to, 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 to buy into the neon lights of this world and to, to be dazzled by them. <clears throat> so Elisha knows that this man's need, I don't need his money. He doesn't have anything that, that the Lord cares about. What he needs is to humble himself, go down to, to, and wash himself in the way the Bible has said. You, you, you will wash yourself in the blood of Christ which is offensive to the world, just like this, the Jordan River was offensive to Naaman. But there's no other option. <clears throat> All his wealth hasn't helped him so far, so why does he continue to trust in it? Well, because he hasn't been changed yet. He's dressed in his final, finest clothes, and he doesn't realize that he's still filthy underneath. You, you can't clean it up by outward things. And of course, at the heart of all this is who's going to get the glory. Will it be Naaman and his riches? Or will it be Elisha? Well, Elisha knows. No, it's not me. Or is it going to be the Lord? I was reading about a story of an artist who met a homeless man 
<clears throat> and we've all seen pictures, you know, if you ever, you know, seen pictures of, of people who are really good at photography and they, they have an eye for it. And he, he sees this, this, uh, homeless, uh, beggar type of a guy out on the streets and his look, his appearance, his clothing, his whole situation, uh, he, he said, that would make an excellent picture. And so he gives the guy a few bucks and says, look, there's more where that came from. If you'll come to me tomorrow and let me take a, a portrait of you. Because you've just got a look that I, that I want to convey. Well, the man takes it, agrees. And the next day he comes, but he's taking the money. He's cleaned himself up. He's shaved. He's bought new clothes. And of course, it ruined everything that the artist wanted to do. Because the artist wanted to use his talent to express something, the essence of this man's situation. Just like God saves us. He doesn't ask us to clean yourself up and please me first. He says, no, I'm going to take you by my power and I'm going to use you the way I want to use you. And Naaman hasn't figured that out yet. That's the way of false religion. They think that some small gift, some small work, is going to impress the Lord. Well, remember, we've already seen everything you've got, the Lord's already given to you. That's the second verse of the chapter. <clears throat> Romans uh, 3 here. Or excuse me, 9, verse 30. What shall we say then? That Gentiles who do not pursue righteousness have attained it. That is, a righteousness that is by faith. But that Israel who pursued a law that would lead to righteousness, did not succeed in reaching that law. Because you cannot use the law for, for to be saved. Why? Because they did not pursue it by faith. But as it were based on works, they have stumbled over the stumbling stone, as it is written, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone of stumbling, a rock of offense, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. You see, <clears throat> the river Jordan is that Offensive stone that Naaman stumbled over. He said, no way am I going to do that. You see it in Titus 3, 5. He saves us not because of our of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing and regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit. <clears throat> so just like that artist, God wants to demonstrate his ability. Not our supposed beauty or, or good works. Because no man, no help can come from the sinner if God is going to receive glory and Naaman still is, uh, he, he hasn't come to understand how he's going to be cleansed. He's going to have to understand that though if it's going to happen. And so Elisha treats him no differently than he did the widow that we've already looked at, but Naaman expects better, better treatment. Because we all innately think we're better or not as bad as somebody else. And that's the nature of sin. Of course, remember, we, we learned this at 1 Corinthians 11, that when you start treating people as if you're better than they are, especially God's people, uh, the Lord is not pleased with that. And that's going to drive the spirit away faster than anything. And so Elisha rightly points him to the source of his cleansing and away from his futile efforts to save himself. Verse 11 uh, it says, Naaman was angry and went away saying, Behold, I thought that he would surely come out to me and stand and call upon the name of the Lord his God and wave his hand over the place and cure the leper. <laughs> it says, 
That's not religion. Religion's not doing that. The religion is coming out and waving the magic wand and saying the, the magic incantations and whatever the ritual might be so that I can be healed. He didn't understand that God is spirit, you know, <clears throat> and is in need of nothing. <clears throat> and then he says in verse 12, Are not Abana and Arpar, the rivers of Damascus, better than all the waters of Israel? Could I not wash in them? See, so, uh, no, I'm not going to believe in Jesus' works. I do my own works. we got something better ourselves. <clears throat> now, it's, I think the names of these rivers are interesting because they're, uh, they teach, I think, the, the whole problem here. Abana means a sinking weight. And so, uh, you think about false religions, it puts these burdens on people that just, they did, that, that they fall under. They can't bear up under it. They can't, no one can do good works and be perfect. And so when you keep insisting that someone be righteous, it just sinks them. In reality, the harder they try, the more they realize they can't live up to any standard of perfection. And so it becomes a sinking weight. The word, uh, Arpar comes from a root word meaning frustration. That's a good way to describe the bondage of man-made religion. You you keep trying, but it never accomplishes what you look for. What a a great description of Catholicism, that no matter how many times you go to confessional, no matter how many times you say mass, the rosary, whatever it is you want to do, it doesn't ever actually fully clean anything. Well, of course, we know it doesn't mean any one sin, but even in their own theology, it only forgives some sins, and you got to keep doing this, and then still end up suffering purgatory, and so forth. It's frustration. <clears throat> but the Jordan represents, of course, the miracle of salvation through Jesus Christ, and the Jordan means to descend. And when we go to chapter to verse 14, what do we find here? So when he went down, he dipped himself even seven times in the Jordan, according to the word of the Lord. So if you're going to be saved from your sins, you're going down. You're going down on your knees. You're going down in worship. You're, going, you're coming down off your high horse. What he had to do, he had to get off his high horse, and he had to go down into the river Jordan. He had to humble himself before the Lord. And so if you haven't done that, then you're not saved. Yet you haven't. You're not trusting the Lord Jesus Christ if you're still trusting in something you're, you can do. So, Elisha, you know, he, he offends uh, Naaman. You know, he doesn't have uh, the people skills that others do. And because of that, uh, he's poor. He could have had a, a, a very healthy payday that day. And he said he didn't even go out and look at it. He, he didn't even go out and meet him. But, his conduct is not due to indifference because he's placing an emphasis on what it needs to be emphasized. It, this, this, he, he, he can see Naaman, uh, had, he has a pride issue. So he points to the Lord and not himself. And this strips the, uh, Naaman of his false glory and revealed his nakedness before God. He had to take off his all his his robe and his, his all his nice clothing as he goes down to the Jordan. 
And he had to realize that he's no different than any other sinner. Uh, as someone said, I think we've, we've made this quote before, but nothing you have done will keep you out of heaven. And nothing you can do will get you in. Because those things are irrelevant when it comes to salvation. So, Naaman, or Elisha, by telling him to, to, to go to the river Jordan, he is saying, renounce your own ways and obey the Lord. And so it reminded me of uh, Isaiah 53, 6. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. So there's the problem. And then if we can kind of fit two verses together in different places, what's the solution? Well, repent, therefore, and turn again. That your sins may be blotted out. So Naaman, you are full of iniquity, that, that leprosy. The way to get rid of it is to dip in the blood of Jesus Christ, that which you find offensive. And there is your salvation. So, again, that's just a great example of, uh, I think, uh, of the gospel in this account. And we will finish up the aftermath, uh, which is interesting in its own right. Uh, Lord willing, next week. Any questions or comments? Heavenly Father, we, uh, Lord, ask your blessings upon us this day as we uh, continue to worship you through uh, the word of God and through our reception of it and through our singing and prayers. And We ask, Lord, it might be a good day of edification. We pray for the West who are sick and uh, struggling this week with uh, stomach virus. We ask your blessings upon them that they have and they'd be back with us for next week and um, we ask your, that you would attend the word as we speak it and that uh, you would edify your people for the hour to follow in Jesus name we pray Amen